Well, good morning. How are we doing today? No one ever knows how to respond to that, so you did good. That was, that was what I expected. Hey, my name is Jordan Hecox, and as Jacob said, I am a, a church planter um, down south about an hour and 45 minutes um, in Mankato, Minnesota. So my family and I um, set out on the grand adventure of uh, beginning a new gospel work uh, about two months ago, and so we uh, were foolhardy enough to, to move in Minnesota in uh, just like a week before Christmas. And so by the grace of God, we uh, are in a new home. We're able to, to buy our first home actually um, down in Mankato. And so we're just praising God. Um, you know, a couple quick updates. Um, we have been just delighting in um, our new community and getting to know people and beginning to do um, the work of laying a foundation for this church plant. And I was just talking with your elders a moment ago about just the remarkable provision and grace and kindness of God over the last two months. Um, it seems that in these last two months, the Lord has really opened a door for us to, um, to be able to partner with a, a small Southern Baptist church there in Mankato that's about 15 people, a really small congregation, but is hungry for the word and their lead pastor is retiring. And it seems like by the grace of God, there's an opportunity for us to come in and partner with them and do a sort of revitalization. And so that's one really big update. And I just, you know, I, I, I am so thankful for this congregation because I know um, every time I see you guys that you're praying for us and it is such a deep, deep encouragement to, to my family and to myself. And so would you just continue to pray for us that the gospel would go forth clearly, um, that the Lord would open up opportunities and doors for us to, um, to bring the gospel to this community of Mankato um, and to the college campus in particular. Um, one thing that's really, really sweet is that this, this opportunity um, with this revitalization is uh, that their building, their church building, is about a mile and a half from the college campus itself. Um, it's actually adjacent to um, student housing there in town, and so it's just, we're, we're just sort of um, in awe of what the Lord has, has done here in just two months, and would just ask for your guys' continued prayers that the gospel would go forth clearly, and that the Lord would be pleased to awaken greater joy in God through the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is our, our namesake, Gospel Joy Church. So with that, would you pray with me one more time, and we'll head into um, the, the word of God here together. So let's pray. Father, we praise you for who you are. We praise you for your kindness. We praise you for your goodness towards us, Lord. We praise you that you sustain us in every season. There is not a moment in our lives where the streams of your grace has run dry. We find in your presence an ever-replenishing fountain of joy and peace and strength. And so would you continue to be with us now? And we pray that you'd give us hearts, Lord, um, that are ready to hear from your word now, hearts that are prepared to um, put ourselves under the wondrous authority of what you have given us in these 66 books of the Bible. God, we, we love you, and we ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, our text this morning comes from the book of Colossians, 
and uh, we're going to be looking at chapter 3, verses 22 through chapter 4, verse 1. So again, that's Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 22 through chapter 4, verse 1. And I would just ask you to please stand now as we honor the reading of God's word. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong that he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, there is a Latin phrase um, used by Christians throughout the centuries that I believe that we need to resurrect. It's a phrase that the reformers of the 16th century used to combat the stale religion of the Catholic Church. The phrase is quorum Deo, which translates literally before the face of God. And the idea was this. The reformers challenged every Christian to live every moment in the presence of God, to be so aware of his holiness and his pervasive presence that we learn to aim our every thought, our every word, and our every action at God himself in pleasing our creator. And specifically, this morning, we're going to stop and ask a very interesting question. What would it look like to put quorum Deo before the face of God into practice in the most unlikely of places, the workplace? What would it look like to bring quorum Deo with us every single day to work? That's a question I want us to wrestle with here this morning. And what we're going to find here in Colossians chapter 3 is that when we bring an awareness of God's presence with us into the workplace, it allows us to fulfill three commands that we find here in this passage. Here Paul calls us to do three things. Number one, obey your boss. Number two, engage your hearts. And number three, serve Christ. So let's jump into the text and see this for ourselves. Again, verse 22. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. As we come to verse 22, Paul begins by addressing the bondservants at Colossae. It was very common in those days that the homes um, of these um, Greek believers would have servants in the home. And and Paul wants these servants to know how they should be related to their masters. 
And it should be noted here that these servants were actually property of their masters, okay? But it should also be noted that in no place does the New Testament condone the practice of slavery. Instead, Paul simply gives wisdom to those who happen to find themselves within its confines. So Paul is talking to servants, but not just to any servants. He is talking to servants who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. These are those who have been delivered from the domain of darkness, as it says in chapter 1, and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son, who have been redeemed and have forgiveness of their sins through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So Paul takes these two realities together. Number one, these are people who find themselves under earthly authority. They're servants. And number two, these are people, again, who have trusted in Jesus Christ, who have a new master, who find themselves under a new authority structure, whose whole lives have been transformed by the blood of Jesus Christ and this radical new commitment to follow him no matter what, right? And so Paul says, well, what does this mean for you? What does this actually look like? like? Is there import into your life as a servant and how you, you go about your work in following Christ, does this, does this make a difference? And Paul tells us, absolutely. It transforms the way that we go about our work. It's interesting because as we consider how this transforms our work, the very first thing that Paul says is obey your earthly masters. Obey your earthly masters. For those who have submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ and now have God as their ultimate authority, Paul says, I want you to submit to this earthly authority. Show respect for their authority. Listen to them. Follow their directives. But he doesn't just stop there. Next, we are told specifically what this should look like. He says this, Obey your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart. In other, word, in other words, Paul recognizes that there's a way that we can simply fake our obedience. There's a, a false kind of respect for an earthly boss that, that smiles and nods when we're in his presence and then sticks out your tongue as soon as your boss turns around. Or you can insert um, any other uh, potential of disrespect in, 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 um, when your boss turns around. Most of us have seen this in one form or, or another, right? You can fake your submission to someone's authority, but as soon as they leave the room, you begin to gossip with your fellow employees, right? This is a feigned, a fake sort of respect that, that only is present when they're looking right at you. And Paul is saying, don't go there, Christian, all right? Don't just fake it, don't put on an act, but rather obey with a sincere heart, a pure heart, so that what your boss sees is actually what they get, so that your respect for him or her is the same whether they are present or not. And at this point, there's a few of you in the room that are starting to get a bit uncomfortable, right? Starting to get a bit warm in here. A handful of you are beginning to say to yourself, Jordan, you have not met my boss. 
You haven't experienced their incompetence. You haven't felt their condescension. You haven't been on the receiving end of their illogical tirades. You haven't been treated unjustly for years under their leadership. And now you're standing there and you're telling me that you want me to actually put myself willingly under their authority with a willing heart? How in the world does the Lord expect us to do this when so often we have jerks for bosses? What does this look like? The next part of this I find so helpful, and we have to get this. Paul says this, we are to obey our earthly masters by fearing the Lord. Do you see that? The Lord Jesus Christ calls his followers to submit to bosses and CEOs and teachers and principals and mothers and fathers, not based upon how worthy of a boss any of these people actually are, but based upon our reverence for Jesus Christ himself. How many times have you heard phrases like, respect is earned, or I'll respect him when he shows himself worthy of my respect? You ever heard these things? I hear this all the time. I think this way all the time. But Paul comes along here and he says, that's absolute hogwash. That's hogwash. Our submission and our obedience to our superiors should have, catch this, nothing to do with them. Do you see that? It isn't about them. It has nothing to do with their character. Nothing to do with their competency, nothing to do with their consistency or credibility or capacities or anything else whatsoever. Our obedience to earthly authorities must be grounded in one thing and one thing only, our fear and our reverence and our awe for the lordship of Jesus Christ himself. It's about bringing quorum Deo into the workplace with us. It's about remembering who Jesus Christ is in every circumstance. And we remember, together with Paul from Colossians chapter 1, who this is that we're dealing with here. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent. Is this one worthy of our submission, brothers and sisters? Is he worthy of us bending the knee? Is he worthy of us submitting ourselves under earthly rulers even when it's difficult? And Paul says, Absolutely, absolutely. He is the preeminent one, worthy of all of our worship and our submission at every moment of our lives. And so Paul says, this is why we must submit. Now, just an aside, are there exceptions to this first command? Absolutely, right? 
if we are called by our supervisor to do something explicitly sinful or immoral, then we must obey God rather than man. Or if you find yourself in an, in an abusive situation that goes beyond the regular scope of an employer-employee relationship, absolutely you are to obey God rather than man. Get out of that situation as soon as possible. Talk to your elders here at the church. But my suspicion is that for the vast majority of us in this room, we find ourselves in workplace situations where we need to hear Paul's straightforward command, obey those who are above you, right? Obey those who are your earthly authorities. And to realize in the times that we don't, our problem isn't mainly a problem with our boss, it's mainly a heart problem. And this brings us to our second point this morning. Engage your heart. Let us move to the second command here in verse 23. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive your reward. Here, just as in the previous command, we see that the Lord Jesus Christ is not concerned simply with the external obedience of his people. He's not just focused on our output. No, our God now, as always, is after our hearts. And so he commands us here, whatever you do, work heartily. And the Greek phrase here is really interesting. It's literally work from or out of the soul. Isn't that good? Work from or out of the soul. Work from that place which is the seat and center of the inner human life. Christ followers are called to do all things with that inner man engaged. Okay? Kids? Got some kids in the room? All right, kids, think about it this way. Imagine that your mom or your dad has just given you a task that you don't want to do. Okay, I, just, I remember these things vividly as a child. My mom would ask me to sweep the floor. I didn't like sweeping the floor. Okay, so what would I do? She'd hand me the broom, and I'd go over there, and I'd you know, stir up a cloud of dust, and I'd get it done as quickly as I can. And all the while, I'd be thinking about all the things that I'd rather be doing. Right? I'd rather be outside playing with my kids. I'd rather be playing Sega Genesis. You guys remember Sega Genesis back in the day? I'd rather be playing Sega Genesis. I'd rather be doing this whole list of things rather than sweeping the floor. Okay? So there's this really fascinating disconnect here. My body is engaged with the work that I'm doing, and my heart is totally disengaged. At no point did I stop to put my heart into this job. And the result, for one, is shoddy work, right? But beyond that, Paul tells us right here that Jesus actually cares what your heart is doing in those moments, okay? He says, don't just put your back into your work. He says, put your heart into it, right? Let your heart be engaged with the task that the Lord has given you to do. No matter how insignificant or seemingly small it is, Paul says, put your heart into your work. And again, 
How do, we, how do we do this? What does this actually look like? How do we find motivation for this? Because the Lord knows this is hard, especially when we don't enjoy our jobs. Okay? So, so, so how do we go about doing this? Answer, we do so by knowing that from the Lord you will receive your reward. Do you see that here in the text? It is from the Lord that you will receive your reward. We work heartily for the Lord right with our eyes fixed on the reward that has already been purchased for us on the cross, right? We fix our eyes. We fix our eyes remembering that one day we will hear those wonderful words, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. We're reminded here that our Lord Jesus Christ is not a stingy master. He doesn't ask us to put our hearts into our tasks without giving us the most wonderful incentive imaginable that one day we will swim in the glory of his presence, in the presence that means fullness of joy and at whose right hand are pleasures forevermore. He says, you need something to fix your heart on? Fix your heart on that, and I promise you the output will look very different than when we grumble or when we despise what the Lord has given us to do. We engage our hearts by considering the reward. This is precisely what we find in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, where Paul says this, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. I love that. Isn't that so good? It's not in vain. It's not pointless. It's not meaningless. Why? Because the resurrection is coming. Because there is a reward coming. Just as Jesus was raised from the dead, so too you will be raised. And in that day, Every effort done for Christ will be rewarded. You know, as I thought about this, I couldn't help but think of Jonathan Edwards. This is a man who understood this idea of pursuing a heavenly reward better than just about anyone I have ever read before. And the crazy thing is that when Jonathan Edwards was 19 years old, he wrote out 70 resolutions for his life. Who writes out 70 resolutions for your life? Unbelievable. But in the 22nd resolution, Jonathan Edwards says this. He says, I'm resolved to endeavor to obtain for myself, which just means I'm going after this thing, as much happiness in the other world as I possibly can. Isn't that awesome? With all the power and might and vigor and vehemence, yeah, violence that I am capable of or can bring myself to exert in any way that can be thought of, okay? Jonathan Edwards says, I am going to go after a heavenly reward. No matter what it takes, I'm going to get more joy for myself in the next world through the work that I do. And what I'm saying right now, brothers and sisters, is that along with Jonathan Edwards, I want you to maximize your happiness in the next life. How do we do this? 
Well, for one, we do this by engaging our hearts in our work. Your job right now may seem insignificant. It may seem tedious or boring or unpleasant or unfulfilling. But I promise you this, whatever job you find yourself in right now at this moment, it is God's means by which you might get more happiness in the next world. Think about that. Your work is a portal for joy in the life to come. How? As we engage our hearts, as we submit ourselves even to difficult bosses, Jesus Christ says, there's reward coming. There's reward coming. It's going to be worth it. I know that it's hard, but live before my presence right now. Live quorum Deo, and I promise you that it will be worth it in the end. And this brings us to our final point. Serve Christ. Serve Christ. We see this in verse 24. Serve the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong that he has done, and there is no partiality. I think the best reading of this verse in verse 24 is for this to be taken as a third command. Serve the Lord Christ. Work for the Lord. Serve him and him alone. Make it your aim to please him, to submit to him, to deny yourself and pick up your cross daily in the workplace and follow him. And once more, we find that this command is grounded in and motivated by a fear of the Lord Jesus himself. It says, serve the Lord Christ because, why? Because the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong that he has done and there is no partiality. I think Paul understands the great temptation at work is again to check out, right? It's to look around at your fellow employees who are all kind of doing a C plus kind of job and say, well, they're getting by, right? This is working out just fine for them. So, so why don't I just go down the same course? And so Paul reminds us right here that not only is Jesus Christ a rewarder for good work, it also says he takes care with justice with those who do not work with their hearts engaged. That's what he's saying here. He is a just judge. He says, remember that we serve a just Lord. He will reward good work and he will repay the wrongdoer. He will make right every injustice, every cut corner, right? Every shoddy job, which means that you as a follower of Jesus Christ can focus on him at work and leave everything else to God, right? You don't have to be the one that enforces everything at work. Instead, you can entrust your own work to the Lord and leave everything else to him. This reminds me of Romans chapter 2, verse 6, where it says this, he will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. 
But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. We must live and work conscious of the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ sits enthroned at the right hand of God, at the position of power, that he has every right to pay back each person according to what they have done. And so we must serve him with reverence and with awe. Think about it like this. A few years ago, a a good friend of mine had just finished up seminary at Trinity Evangelical um, Divinity School. And rather than going right into the pastorate, my friend took a year and, and worked a blue-collar job. He was working, in fact, at a manufacturing plant, a decent-sized operation that produced machinery. And while he was there, he worked under a boss that seemed bent on driving the business into the ground. He was disorganized, he micromanaged, and just generally gave the impression to everyone around him that he really had no idea whatsoever what he was doing. And so, as often happens, the employees at this plant began to gossip behind his back, okay? They complained about his ineptitude. They called him every name under the sun in the process. But my friend noticed that one of his fellow employees... A Hispanic by, an Hispanic man by the name of Javier never once joined in on the gossip. Every time that the conversation turned that way in the break room, Javier would simply say, I've got to get, I've got to get back to work. And he'd smile and he'd walk out of the room. And the crazy thing about Javier is that he had been there longer than anyone else. He had been there since the very beginning of the company under that very same boss under which everyone else now complained. And one day in the break room, a few of the guys approached Javier with a question. They asked him, how do you do it? How do you do it? How in the world can you work for him with seemingly so much gladness? And without hesitation, Javier looked at the men in the room and he said to them, as clear as the day, I do not work for him. I do not work for him. You see, Javier understood something, that he served another master. And I ask you the same question this morning. Do you know who you're working for? Do you set your mind on the one with true authority? Have you, lit, have you learned what it means to live with quorum Deo in the workplace? To remember that we live first and foremost before the face of God as we go to work every single day. If we do this, if we remember this, that Christ has redeemed us, that he's now pleased with us um, wherever we are, it'll transform the way that we approach our work. It'll change the way that we approach our boss. It'll teach us to engage our hearts and it'll show us ultimately that we serve the Lord Jesus Christ in whatever we do. So with that, let us pray together.
Father, we praise you in this moment because we know that you have redeemed us and you have purchased us through the precious blood of your son, Jesus Christ. And you've done so, Father, apart from our good works. Even when we, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, it wasn't because of anything good that we have done. It wasn't because we earned salvation. It wasn't because we had everything put together that you saved us. But instead, at our lowest moment, while we were still rebels against you, you came and you redeemed us and you gave us new life and you gave us an inheritance in Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I pray for each of us in the various realms and roles that you've put us in, that you would teach us to live before your face. But Father, I ask not only that we would remember your presence and remember your holiness, but I pray as well, Father, that you would help each of us to remember that through Jesus Christ that you are now pleased with us. As we go to work every single day, your disposition towards us is not anger, it's not wrath, it's not severity, but instead, through Jesus Christ, you say those same words that you said over your son at his baptism. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. And so, Father, I pray every single day that as we wake up and we put on our boots to go to work, that we would know that we go to work under the guidance of a heavenly father who delights in us through Jesus. Would you help us to do that, Lord? We wanna honor you, we wanna lift your name high, we wanna glorify you in every sphere of our lives and we need your help to do that. We love you, we pray all these things in the matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen.